so good to be with everyone. Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 12? I'm going to continue this week with... uh, God's been just on me about being a student of the kingdom of God. And uh, the last number of times I've spoken, I've spoken on different... I mean, that's a huge subject, to be a student of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is probably ever... It's ever-expanding. It's huge. But um, he's invited us into this place. Uh, And in this, I want to talk to you this morning about... Uh, the importance of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, <clears throat> as we've been looking at the kingdom, you know, our, our prayer, the, the prayer that Jesus gave us, it was a model prayer of how we should pray. And he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we really need to understand this whole concept of the kingdom. Because Jesus is a king. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he's going to establish his kingdom on earth one day. And uh, we want to know how to operate within that kingdom. Even now, you know, we're praying. That kingdom come on earth today as it is in heaven. So let's look a little closer. Uh, Turn with me to Mark chapter 12, beginning of verse 28. Jesus is actually uh, being questioned by some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees about, um, you know, they're bringing an earthly understanding to eternal life and trying to make it fit their carnal understanding of uh, husbands and wives and what happens when one dies and, and you remarry. <clears throat> and Jesus kind of admonishes them and says, you don't know the word, you don't know the scriptures, nor do you understand the power of God. And he kind of corrects them. And then let's pick up at verse 28. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he, Jesus, had answered them well. So he asked them, Teacher, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. I just want to pause for a minute. Like it, what does that mean? Like it. And the second is like it, or New King James says like it. Is this so? He's he's saying it's they're similar. They're very similar. Kind of interesting. Okay, the second like it is this: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these two. So the scribe said to him, "Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him." with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34, now Jesus, now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far 
from the kingdom of God. That makes me pause because I want to understand the kingdom. Jesus is pointing out, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He, the scribe said, you've answered well because he, the scribe said, this is everything. And, and it's more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he was beyond the politics. He was beyond the, you know, the trying to get money into the temple or, or whatever that is. You know, he, he understood this is more important. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. What is this love? I think it's tied into these first two commandments more than anything. I don't think it's sometimes our earthly notions of romantic or Valentine's Day love kind of thing. I think love is so much deeper. To love God, to love one another, all of this combined. So God started really working me over on this earlier this week when we were doing, you know, how many have signed up for our Read the Bible Through in a Year plan? Amen. Bless you guys. Just a little plug. You can get in now. Don't feel like you have to catch up. Just jump in where we're at and, 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 and go for it. It's just, it's just so important to be in the word. You know, it's said it's, a, it's, not a, it's not scripture, but I've heard it said many times, if you fail to plan, you plan to. Planning is important. Having a, some level of structure just gives you a, a goal, a purpose, and, you know, if we, we all know we're supposed to read the Bible every day, but having a plan on how to do it kind of really puts you on purpose and on course, so just there's a little plug for that. Okay, turn with me to Acts chapter 7, beginning of verse 58, so this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually compare, this is the story where Paul is on his way to Damascus. Um, he's still named Saul, actually. Saul's on his way to Damascus, and uh, he's, he, he's persecuting the Christians. I'm also, just so you know, I'm going to look at when he recounts the story in Acts 26, because I, I just saw a little bit of a juxtaposition of things, and I just wanted to, to highlight it. But let's look at, uh, we're going to start at Acts 7, 58 and 59, and then it's going to continue into Acts Eight, one, two, three. You know, when Paul wrote the letter, he didn't have chapters, just so you know. It was like a continuous uh, story. It, the, the chapters in verse help us to find them when there's somebody up here speaking. Anyway, Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says, <clears throat> this is the story of where Stephen is preaching the gospel, and the, the religious crowd around him had just, you know, they had, not too long before, they had crucified Jesus, and now uh, his, the, 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 the gospel is going forth in power, and there's, he's upsetting the, the establishment the same way Jesus had, established, had upset the, established, the establishment. 
and they were about to stone and kill Stephen, and that's where we're going to pick up. And they cast him, Stephen, out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Continuing Acts 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting in his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. You know they were devout because to put yourself out there and carry Stephen and bury him was to sort of let the whole world know that you were a Christ follower because no one was going to, anyone who was a little wishy-washy on the fence, they weren't going to be seen carrying Stephen. They were devout men. <clears throat> and they carried Stephen to his burial and there was a great lamentation made over him. Now as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. find it interesting that he was carrying off men and women. You know, women really were not, in this society, in this time, not highly regarded. And, but Saul made no distinction. He carried off everyone, men and women, and he committed them to prison. I mean, how would our faith stand in, in that kind of situation? Okay, um, chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to the, well, let me just stop there. So it wasn't sufficient for Saul just to wreak havoc on a church in Jerusalem. He had done that. He kind of, he probably somewhat exhausted uh, those he could find. And he was like, I heard there's some more Christians up in Damascus. And he asked the high priest, give me letters of authority, letters of introduction, so I can go up there and do the same. So he was really bent on evil if you will. And it says, as he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, he, he was trembling and astonished at what he just heard. He was knocked from his horse. Other accounts, we know he's blind. And he hears the voice of the Lord, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you? I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, Saul, it says he was trembling and astonished. Let's just look. Let's go to Acts 26. Uh, it's around verse 13 or 14. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
it's hard for you to kick against the, the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Saul is trembling. He must think like he's about to be taken out. I mean, he's just confronted by God, having done, been the worst of the worst. And, uh, and then the Lord says, but rise and stand on your feet. It's uh, Acts 26, verse 12 to 16. Rise and stand to your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I have yet revealed to you. But here's the thing that struck me. It was earlier in the week, and I was reading. I was actually reading the passage in Acts 26. And... When he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my body? Saul, why are you persecuting my disciples? Jesus took this very personally. You are persecuting me. You're not just persecuting them. Like, it, it was very, very personal. And I, and I, I it just... How many times, I mean, I've been serving the Lord close to 40 years or more, and I must have read this passage probably over 50 or 60 times, you know, between just reading the Bible through and then just times when we've referenced the passage. And I think it's so important that we approach every time we, we go into the Word with a childlike wonder. Because as I was reading this, I've read it so many times before. But all of a sudden, I, the, the Holy Spirit just highlighted to me, why are you persecuting me? And how Jesus took this so personally. And it made me start to, to ponder and, and just, you know, seek the Lord about this. And then he highlighted to me Matthew 25. Can you turn with me to Matthew 25? I honestly believe if we start to understand this, it will transform our walks. It will transform our relationship with other people. And it will totally usher in revival. Matthew 25, beginning of verse 31. This is Jesus talking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? 
Well, when did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least, one of the least, one of the least of my brethren, you did it to, not to them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't even visit me. Then they will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's heavy duty. And Jesus takes this all very personally. Whatever you've done to the least of these, that you've done unto me, whether, whether good or bad. And that brings me back to those first two, you know, we want to love God with all our heart. We want to love God with, all our, God with all our strength, with all our mind, right? But how do we love each other? How do we operate in that love? Because, you know, the Bible says if you don't love your brother who you see, how can you love God who you don't see? Let's look at it. Turn John chapter 4. 1 John, I'm sorry. 1 John 4 verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. Wow. That's a pretty heavy word. You liar. <laughs> if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen... How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother. You know, Bob Jones, before he was a a prophetic gentleman since has gone to be with the Lord. But at one point, he had an encounter, and he, everyone thought he was dying, and I think he actually might have been physically uh, diagnosed as dead. And he went before the Lord, and he said, uh, God said he was sending him back 
because he still needed to learn how to love well. And he came back and uh, continued his life. And it was interesting that God actually took him a couple of years ago on Valentine's Day. He went to be with the Lord. <laughs> and everyone knew that story that he, uh, God said, you know, the one thing you lacked, you haven't, you, have to, you haven't really learned how to love. And so he, whatever the remainder of his days was, it was kind of focused on that. And there's something about this love because we're students of the kingdom. And Jesus takes this all very personally, very personally, how we treat others, you know. And I really think, like, we're here in this earth realm, and we have all sorts of people around us. And some of them, and everybody's like, our personalities are different. You know, some are very smart. Some are, you know, very talented in different areas, but everyone's different. And sometimes some people can grate on you. And I actually think that's by divine design. God puts people in your life just to annoy you. <laughs> and then it says, now how are you going to treat them? How are you going to love them? Because if you can't love your brother whom you see, how can you love God who you don't see? And this is like the great place where we get to, to test how much like Jesus we're becoming. And every time you speak a condescending word to someone, every time you're a little short or snippy, Jesus might say, why were you short or snippy with me? Bill, you were a little condescending with me with that statement. When was I condescending to you, Jesus? When you've done it to the least of these. Oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Turn with me to Luke. Chapter 10. Beginning of verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds familiar, this story. And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered, said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself, so he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know those lawyers, they're always trying to parse words, catch you in how you say something, and looking at the contract. Wait, oh, the contract says. I know because I do that for a living. <laughs> so the lawyer wanted to justify himself. Who is, who is my neighbor? Like, let's define terms here. 
Jesus answered, said to him, well, because in, the, in, in, I think it's in the book of Leviticus, it has this concept, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself. But then some of the, the debate within the, the scholarship was who's your neighbor? Is it, because it could be taken that it was the people close by you, which were all Israelites. So maybe we should just treat the, you know, our people as our neighbors, not those others. And there was a debate here. So that's, the lawyer wasn't picking this question out of thin air, but it was a theological debate. <clears throat> so Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. So he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's important to note when you start to consider who's in the, in the story that the journey was away from Jerusalem. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stopped him, who, oh, who stripped him of his clothes. They wounded him. They beat him up. And they departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he had saw him, he passed by on the other side. Didn't want to get too close. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came, came a little closer. He looked, but then he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal or a donkey maybe. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out some money. He gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of this man. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'm going to repay you. So which of the three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. So let's look at this. The priest, <clears throat> it's interesting. He's got sort of three distinct people here, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Priests actually were the ones who um, were in the temple in Jerusalem and could, could perform the, the ritual service to the Lord. Some of the other Levites who weren't of that tribe or there's different reasons, they might not have had the, the uh, status of the priest. So the, the priest is considered sort of an expert in the law. He's got a high and esteemed position. The Levite has a, a lesser position, may still be somewhat expert in the law. Uh, and the Samaritan is hated. The Samaritan is uh, a people who intermarried with the... Um, other people in the land, and when you read in the book of Nehemiah and in, uh, you know, Ezra, there was a separation made because of, you know, there was mixed worship and all those things, and, you know, it was the, it was <coughs> the tribe of, you know, the tribes of Israel were supposed to keep themselves. So Samaritans were looked down upon. They were reviled. As a matter of fact, often when this was a common road to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
and you'd have to sort of cut through parts of Samaria, and a lot of Pharisees, they say, would, it would completely just go around it, even if it was another 20 miles out of the way, because they wanted no association with the Samaritans. And so for the Samaritan to stop, I mean, this, this man is cl clearly of Jewish descent because he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which are towns of, of, of Judah. And so, so he's a Jew going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's other two, the priest and the Levite, the priest doesn't even stop to check on him. He goes out of his way to, uh, to go by him, to avoid him. He says, you know, it says he saw him and he passed by on the other side. The Levite pauses a moment and he takes a look, but then he still goes on his way. He doesn't do anything about it. It's the Samaritan who stops, goes out of his way, spends time and resources to help this person, and and then and then when he leaves, he, he gives money to the innkeeper. Says, "I have to go take care of him. If he spends anything else, I'll repay you." And Jesus says, "Go and do likewise." So, in my ponderings of all of this, it, it really hit me how important we treat other people. And not just those of the household. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to do well to all men, especially those of the household of faith. But it, it's that first it says, you know, do well for, to all. It's like treat all well, especially brothers and sisters in the faith. But, it, but that's kind of you're supposed to already be treating everyone well. And um, I think... This was speaking to me because there's times when I'm, I'm short with people. I could be on work. I could be calling up complaining about my internet service or, and I'm, I'm not satisfied with the, the response time or something and I'm just, I'm going to let them know I'm not happy. And, uh, and, it's, and I'm not always nice about it. I mean, I'm just being honest. Um, and uh, I really feel like the Lord is, is saying something in this place. Like, when we start l seeing Jesus in everyone, we, you know, we, everyone was created in his image and in his likeness. And God loves everyone, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not, he loved a handful. He loved everyone. First Timothy, it says, you know, it's, it's God's will that all, you know, repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. He'd like to see everyone get saved. We, we know he's given us this uh, free will, and not all men will, you know, surrender and, and, and follow Jesus. But, none, but you and I, we don't know who those are. I mean, I'm sure, as a matter of fact, this whole uh, story about Saul on the way to Damascus, when he was knocked off his horse and Jesus spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go lay hands on Paul. Ananias tried to correct the Lord, saying, Lord, 
Maybe, maybe you didn't hear about this, but let me just give you an update. This guy's been wiping everybody out. And he says, listen, I've, I've anointed him. He's going he's gonna to suffer much for me, but he's going to proclaim this gospel. And I want you to go lay hands on it. Ananias goes. And he says, you know, Jesus sent to me, Paul, receive your sight. And Paul, the scales fall off his eyes. But we have to begin to see people as Jesus sees them. And so no matter who we're talking to, you ha we have to start to, like, reevaluate how we see people. We have to see Christ in everyone. In the church, but outside the church, and even if they're not serving God, because inside them is that they were created in his image. And so how we treat them is going to matter. And when we stand before the Lord, and he says, when I was, you know, what you've done to the least of these. So out, this is, this hit me. Jesus takes this personally. How you treat others like, it's not just, yeah, we have to do right. We have to treat others the way you want to be treated. And, you know, like, I, I, I yes and amen that, but I, you know, but then I, I don't, I haven't personally realized until this week when I was reading the scripture that Jesus takes it very, very personal. And how we treat others, you know, it's going to come back in an unexpected way. I mean, because that's Matthew 25. When were you naked and we clothed you? When were you hungry? When did we pass by? The righteous, they had the same question. It's interesting that the righteous and the unrighteous, they had the same exact question. When did we see? When did we visit you in prison? When did we feed you? They all asked the same question because they didn't know. This is when you've done it to the least of these. And... I don't know. I was stopped on that and saying, wow, Jesus, you take this really personal. Like, this is not just, you know, theology or, uh, you know, theory or, yes, that sounds good. Like, we should all live according to that. But it's, it's personal. <laughs> and, and I just started thinking of the times when I've been a bit condescending or I've been short or I've been fill in the blank. It's like, God, I have to repent because I'm not seeing you in others the way you want me to. And I think when we start to shift our, our mindset and our eyesight, like seeing it the eyes of the Spirit, understanding that this person before me, whether rich or poor, whether smart or not so smart, you know, wh wherever they are on that spectrum, whether you know, of uh, black, white, yellow, red, what, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. They were created in the image of God. It's Christ in them. How I treat them, how I think about them, you know, what I say about them, there's Christ in them. And, that, and Jesus takes that personal. Like, would you want to have said that about Jesus? I mean, it really helps, to, helps me to start thinking about my words. Like, if G Jesus, when you said that to me, when did I say that to you? Well, so-and-so, the least of these, that was me. I was in them. Wow. 
Thank you, Lord. Can we stand? He's so good. I really believe he's focusing on this type of message today, and he's highlighting things like this about how personally he takes it because he wants to do something, and we're going to need a different mindset. We're going to need, like, really a different eyesight. We have to see people from his perspective. We have to stop making judgments with a carnal mindset. And it's challenging, right? Because we've been operating in a certain realm for a long time. And, you know, yeah, we've, we're, we're born again. We love the Lord. We, his spirit's inside us, and we're growing in our faith. But I think this is, it's time for us to shift it to another level. It's time for us to say, Jesus, I want to see what you see. And, and he loves. You know, when Sadducees, the Pharisees, they would brought the woman caught in adultery and, you know, brought him right to Jesus and says, the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Testing him. And, like, he didn't answer. You know, the Bible says he stooped, stooped down and started writing in the ground. They're oppressing him. What do you say? What do you say? The law is clear. She was caught in the very act. The law says to stone her. Then says, Jesus stood up, never contradicting what the law said. He said, all right, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And it says, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, <laughs> they started dropping their stones. And after he said that, it says he, he, he kneeled down again and started just writing in the sand. I don't know what he was writing. And then when he, he looked up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? And it says, they've all left. They couldn't answer him. Can we see that woman the way Jesus saw her? Can we have compassion on people? You know, I read in 1 John, it says, if you, if you say you love God but hate your brother, that, now hate's a strong word. But what if we, sometimes people, the opposite of love, they say, is really indifference. Just indifferent. What if we're just indifferent? I love God and I'm indifferent to the plight of other people. I just walk by. I don't think that's what Jesus would do. I think he's asking us to come up a little higher. To come a little closer.
Can we ask him? Jesus, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? You are love. Love isn't something he does. Love is something he is. If we want to be Christ followers, we have to love God with all our heart. How do you really show that you, you love God with all your heart? First John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11 says, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old commandment is the message you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new commandment. It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Verse 9 says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is no darkness in them. There is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I think the way we really show our love for God is in our attitudes toward others. And not just our friends. If you love those who love you, what have you done more than the, the Gentiles? But he says, bless those who curse you. Love those who hate you. Do good to those who use you spitefully. By doing this, you'll be showing that you're children of your Father in heaven. Holy Spirit, just come right now. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the room. Transform our hearts by your grace. Do what only you can do, God. We can't change ourselves, but you can do all things. And I thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, forgive us for our attitude toward others, for the times we've been short or snippy or condescending. God, help us to arise to another level. God, we want to be like Jesus when confronted with the woman caught in the very act or, or the guy caught in the act or what, whoever it is. God, we want, to, we want to be just like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we say, come. Come and have your way. God, we want to be people who usher in the kingdom of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come.
Right now we're going to go into worship here in the room. If you're uh, in Zoom, you're going to go into your Zoom rooms. Or If you could just share with one another how the Lord has been ministering to you. I really believe there's, uh, I feel it in the room, the Holy Spirit is present and there's conviction. And there's a, a beckoning up higher. He's saying, come, come up higher, come with me. Because God wants to do something that if it was told you before, you would never believe it. But he's going to do something in our city, in our time, in this day, in this hour. And he wants you to be a part of it. In order to be a part of it, you have to be his ambassador. To truly be Christ's ambassador, you have to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We have to love sacrificially. The Samaritan it cost him to stop. It didn't, the priest, the Levite passed on. It didn't cost him anything. He bound up the person's womb, wounds. He went out of his way. He put them on his animal. So he walked and he had to walk with the animal. And then he came to the end and he paid the cost to the end to take care of a Samaritan. But if if we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us that we might be this people. He said, Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. If we would allow him to come forth in us, we are going to see a mighty, mighty ingathering of souls, a great, great outpouring that will transform a city and turn the whole city upside down. Let's worship Him.